Tim, how are you? I'm doing really good, George. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for doing this. I know you're super busy. Oh, no, it's so great seeing you. It's, as I was just telling you, it's been too long. Absolutely. Uh, well, what we've been doing over the past nine days, this is actually day nine that we've been filming this documentary here in the Valley. Right. And we've been really sitting down, meeting with founders, venture capitalists, and others in the ecosystem, really trying to figure out what is it truly like to be a founder here in Silicon Valley? And is there really something to be said about Silicon Valley culture. What is it that's so amazing about this area that start that really starts to kind of, you know, grow so many great businesses and and, and lay the seeds for all this innovation. But before we go into that, why don't yeah. you tell the folks a little bit about your background? How'd yeah. you get into venture investing? Because I know you're originally you're like the real entrepreneur. I don't know. Um, well, um, you know, I've really been lucky enough to have uh, three jobs uh, since I got out of college and. I have a technical degree and uh, sort of the first job was where I learned how to you know, run the different functions in a, in a startup company. That was a company called Scopus Technology. 1992, started, uh, took it public in 95, and then sold to Siebel Systems in 96. And, uh, uh, you know, I got that bug, being part of a successful company. And uh, I did my second company called Octane Software, which was, uh, I was founder and CEO, and really lucky to have these four phenomenal people uh, on the journey with me. And we built that to a very successful enterprise software company and uh, sold it in uh, 2000. So right as the market was at its peak, uh, big transaction, $3.2 billion. And uh, those are the first two jobs I did, which was really um, uh, on the entrepreneurial side. Then I hung out by the beach and really helped the integration happen between Octane and Epiphany, which was acquiring company. And uh, I got introduced to Sierra. And uh, the first, my first reaction was not really sure about venture, but um, I was just struck by, I uh, joined a couple of boards and I could see uh, entrepreneurs making the same mistakes that I'd made. And it was kind of like, don't go down that path. I've been there, <laughs> it's gonna hurt. <laughs> and uh, so I just felt that uh, I could offer something in venture and uh, really jumped into venture capital in 2001. And I've been here for the last 14 years. So. What would you say is venture capital? How would you define it for the folks who don't know that might be watching this documentary? Yeah, I think uh, the way to think about venture capital is really uh, it's the capital you want to attract to your business when you're sure it's the business you want to scale over time. So venture capital is not this quick fix. Venture capital is not debt. Uh, venture capital with it uh, brings certain expectations because you're really getting an entrepreneurial-oriented uh, uh, investor involved in your company. So it's capital plus experience and expertise, which is what you should be looking for uh, if you come knocking on venture capital's doors. So we've been talking to founders, investors, you know, others in the ecosystem, and the founders say what's so amazing about Silicon Valley and one of the its unique characteristics is the venture capital that's available. Right. You know the type of investor that's here, and then the investors are saying, "Well, you know, we're cool, but it's the founders and the talent that's here." Yeah. What would you say are are these characteristics, or some of these characteristics that make Silicon Valley Silicon Valley? Why is it so amazing and dynamic here? Yeah. I think it's um, it's uh, something to do with the age uh, of of the fact that. You know, venture capital was born here. Uh, this is also a place that's got this massive ecosystem of uh, great schools and great industry. Um, 
And what's happened over the last three or four decades is it's attracted uh, entrepreneurs that made money, uh, people like me, uh, that stayed on and then crossed over into venture capital. And I think we, uh, we tend to have a very much a glass half full attitude when we are sitting across from a table uh, from an entrepreneur. We appreciate their uh, anxiety, been there. Uh, we appreciate their pain, been there, done that. And we uh, appreciate their passion and the vision that you know, comes across. So it tends to be this one plus one makes 11 kind of formula. Um, I think those kind of entrepreneurs that are not day trippers, the real entrepreneurs tend to get attracted to this, uh, this, this uh, zone. And uh, you know, early stage investors like us that love that sort of passion and want to find that long-term entrepreneur, look for those kind of entrepreneurs. So I think it's that, it's that sort of magic that happens when those two teams come together. And, and I think that's what makes this place, uh, place really special. So that's a good segue into my next question. <clears throat> We've been talking to these founders who have been describing what it's really like to start a company from scratch and hopefully a lot of the time scale it to at least something, right? right. What is it truly like from your experience and now that you work with so many founders, what is it truly like to be a founder, an early stage founder? Yeah. And when you're just like a couple people in a basement yeah. and there's all this uncertainty, what is the reality? Because you look at the media these days and I think they tend to glamorize it. Yeah. But what would you say it's really like? Yeah. I think it's, it's probably the most fun you'll ever have uh, in your professional career. Uh, it's also one of the, the um, the most extracting time in your life because uh, it's it's full of uncertainty and fear. Uh, and I think entrepreneurs that prevail, the ones that we see coming out on the other end, are the ones that are truly doing it because they have a mission and a passion for building the business. Because I think there are plenty of times when you want to hit that exit button, you know, just tap out. Because it's too tough to raise money or too tough to get that first customer or too tough to um, build that right product or your employee just quit. I mean, the many, 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 many issues that come at an entrepreneur and uh, the best ones are the ones that just prevail through it. And I think, I also think that having a team, uh, having that passion as an entrepreneur where you can attract the best talent uh, is, is, is critical. And, and if you look across the history of companies that have endured, you know, look at Larry Ellison, Tom Siebel, we talk about the modern ones like Mark Zuckerberg, and every single one of them has been a great leader, but somebody that can really build that second bench. And I think it's practically impossible to do it alone. So I think those entrepreneurs that have that mission and can attract the next line, that see the same mission the same way, and come along for that long journey are the ones that prevail. Uh, I think it's a fascinating journey. I've been there twice uh, myself, and. I mean, I must miss those days. Uh, if I was not doing venture, if I didn't love this as much as it, I would definitely be doing another company. What would you say are the, and we've been asking quite a few founders what they think are the characteristics of a successful startup. Right. What would you say are, are, the, are these characteristics? Is it more the product? Is it the team? Yeah. Like, what would you say? I think eventually uh, you have to uh, sit back as an entrepreneur and remember what is the most important thing that, that the market pays for, right? And I'm using the word market loosely. A market is an investor, a market is an acquirer, a market is the public market. And the market really cares about two things. Number one is growth, and number two is EBITDA. Everything in the middle is, is 
you know, just sort of contributing, you know, sort of numbers to the line. And um, so I tell entrepreneurs today that really think carefully about your business model when you're thinking about building a SaaS business or security infrastructure or, you know, any, any business that you might be thinking of. Because eventually, if your product doesn't uh, fit into a great market that's got that growth or doesn't have the economic model that eventually builds a profitable company, you're not going to get those great next rounds or exits or IPOs downstream. So I think having a great growth market into which you're building a product that fits and having a great product that obviously scratches that itch, which everybody talks about, and then on the backs of a very strong financial model is what builds the companies with the greatest staying power. Like we talked about, LinkedIn got bought today for $26 billion. I mean, the reason, if you think about why, 50% premium was paid by Microsoft is not because of LinkedIn's revenue. It's because of the business model, the fact they have the network effect. And that's really what Microsoft's paying for. So even many years after going public, they've gotten a premium on that business model they invented almost a decade ago. What's your opinion on that? Do you think this is a good thing that happened for LinkedIn and for the market? Or um, You know, if, if um, you're an investor, and I was a tiny, tiny investor, um, also as a public company, I bought this stock. I think it's a, it's a great thing for the investors. Um, whether or not LinkedIn customers will get the best uh, out of a combined company, I think long-term it's tough to argue against the fact that innovation almost always slows down when you become part of a big machine. Hopefully that will not happen because uh, Jeff uh, Wiener, who's a great leader, uh, is gonna stay on with Microsoft. Uh, but um, uh, great thing for investors for sure. If you're a nine to fiver or you're someone who's been for the past few years thinking about starting a business, right. maybe you've had an, an app idea or an idea to solve some problem that you see at work, maybe it's a productivity problem or something. Knowing that ideas from what we've heard in my own experience, but from what we've heard from investors and, and founders that we've been speaking to, you know, they knowing that it that ideas are, are really not that important, it's more execution. When, when, it, when is like the right time to be able to go ahead and, and take that plunge and pursue that idea? Yeah. You know, I think uh, there have been successful entrepreneurs that have come right out of the crib, so to say, and become entrepreneurs, like obviously Mark Zuckerberg is a great example of that. There have been others that have had a real job, but that burn those weekend conversations with your neighbors where everybody's doing something interesting and entrepreneurial, if it starts eating into your core and you can't stop thinking about it and you just flip into an idea that, that has the earlier characteristics of great growth, good product market fit, and great economic model, I think anybody can be an entrepreneur. I feel that one of the biggest strengths that our country has is entrepreneurship. People ask me, why is America America? I think it's because of entrepreneurship. It's because that's the one thing nobody can take away from us, right? And that's why we're producing the Tesla and, and you know, the next innovation and information architecture technology comes from here. So I feel very strongly about that, and I also feel that anybody can become an entrepreneur at any age. It just has to be for the right reasons, which have to be, you have to be committed to the long-term creation of real value, okay? Which is not to say that uh, an Instagram can't happen to you. It can. A year later, you can be sold for a billion dollars. But that better not be plan day one, because you'll almost definitely fail. 
So I look for uh, entrepreneurs with, with that mission and purpose, and, and those are the ones that we seek out as, as Sierra. Someone who's not just trying to become a billionaire overnight, but that yeah. really cares about the space that they're, they're getting into or the problem that they're solving, and has exactly. that competitiveness you talked about. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, when I look at companies that prevail over time, I mean, we've seen many examples where the best product doesn't succeed always. It's great to have an excellent product, but teams that have that mission and long-term focus and take the hill at any cost, yeah. right, are the ones that win, right? And, and that's why you see the Facebooks. Um, I was reading the article the other day, somebody posted where Facebook went into quote-unquote lockdown mode yeah. when Google Plus was announced, yeah. right? What a great article. Yeah. Even at their scale as a public company, they had that, uh, that passion. And I think that's why Facebook deserves the value they have today. Absolutely. What tips would you give a early stage founder, let's say who's an angel uh, in their angel round, or maybe they bootstrapped the business to date, what tips would you give them around when to go after early stage venture capital or institutional capital? Yeah, I think uh, there is uh, Certainly a time uh, for everything when your business is kind of executing through some milestones. And uh, my advice would be make sure you understand your business, you understand the levers in your business model and economic model, make sure you understand your unit economics. And once you have those few things kind of figured out, uh, and it's okay to have certain uh, cards that are not face up yet which is the reason that you walk to a firm like ours at Sierra and say, hey Tim, I'm here. I think I have a pretty strong business model. Here are the six cards or seven cards I wanna see face up in the next 18 to 24 months. Will you be my partner? I love conversations like that because uh, helping you sequence the expense structure so that you're making the right kind of inflection points at the right time is what we do for a living at Sierra. So I like uh, giving you capital for sure, but the other part that I really like is helping mold that uh, economic model I talked about. So, but don't take venture unless and until your base value proposition is figured out and you know that you actually have a business you can, you can create a long-term value proposition on. And I've been hearing a lot about product market fit and of course, I've understood that intimately, yeah. not always come out on the top side of that equation, uh, certainly. But what would you say if you were giving a founder advice about finding product market fit? What is the most important component of that early on? You know, angel, seed, seed stage type business. Right. I think uh, product market fit is a function of how many sales calories I expended for every unit of sale. That's, that's really uh, the only math. And um, when I say that, uh, I almost, almost always means uh, it's not whether the founder picked up the phone and called or the VP of sales picked up the phone or call and called. It is uh, numerifying that and making sure that you can, you, can, you can measure compression in those conversations over a sustained period of time so that you know that when you hand that playbook over to the next six or seven sales teams, they can actually become more efficient, right? So um, pro that's product market fit. The product market fit that you want to keep iterating on and not you know, sort of 
uh, start hiring salespeople or, or more team members is because your revenue line might be going up, but you might be becoming more inefficient, right? And that's the wrong way to scale a company. And unfortunately, many founders um, make the mistake of chasing the top line, even with an inefficient business model. And I think that almost always either ends up, either you end up consuming too much capital. You might still ultimately be successful, but you'll end up diluting yourself because you've now suddenly raised $100 million where you should have been able to scale to the revenue line with 40 or 30 or 20. That certainly hits home with me. I, I was just talking to you about one of my recent ventures where the unit economics were really completely off. Now, where we were closing deals, yeah. and so at the you know at the bird's eye view, you would say, oh, they're closing deals, they're acquiring company uh, right. customers, right? But right. ultimately, the the unit economics were off, and and there were a variety of reasons outside of that that we didn't uh, really succeed. So. You know, it's one thing for me as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I think I've, I've sort of like matured around is starting to not only just brute force a venture, but really start to think strategically around, hey, what if this thing does take off? What is that model that takes us out? You know, four or five years that allows us to actually not just build a business, yeah. but build a good business and a real profitable, you know, business, right? Yeah. So. I tell my companies that be aggressive when it comes to you know, growing your business, but be patient when it comes to looking at your metrics. Because uh, uh, metrics, uh, unfortunately, uh, don't like the compression of time. Metrics take time to mature. Uh, well, you know, do you ever run into these founders where they're just so excited to try to build a business that they neglect some of these simple core, sort of core components of the business? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, you know, the short answer is yes, because the, and again, in the valley, the social pressure of, of showing progress and everything is up and to the right is quite a bit. And that uh, drives people, and, and a combination of, if dollars are available easier, you tend to make that mistake. You, you, you think about top line growth, even though inefficient, as a great thing, and it is not. So um, I'm always cautioning entrepreneurs that use the time that you need to mature a business, right, before you get to the next level. And that, that doesn't mean that be less aggressive or don't go hard after the next hire you want to make or the next customer. But don't consume, you know, confuse being aggressive on the business line with being, being you know, very uh, uh, cynical and clinical about the metrics, which at, at the end of the day is what you hand over to the next team member to scale the business. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Oh, great seeing you, and, and uh, this is going to be a fabulous piece of work when it gets done. So. Well, we're hoping, so we hope to inspire and educate folks all over the place around what it's really like to be in this amazing place we call home, which is Silicon Valley. That is for sure true. So if folks want to follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? What's the best way to kind of reach you on social? Yeah, it's at Tim Guleri, my name, T-I-M-G-U-L-E-R-I. Or I'm very good on email, as you know. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's uh, uh, at, uh, sorry, tguleri at sierraventures.com. Well, thanks so much. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely.